Father, thank you for our time in the Word. We thank you that you've given us the all-sufficient Word of God. We do not have to lean upon our own wisdom. We know that would get us in trouble. We do not have to lean onto the wisdom of the world. We know that is trouble. We have your Word, and we believe it. We believe it's all-sufficient. We believe it gives us everything we need for life and godliness. And so, Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds, that your Spirit would take the Word of God and plunge it into our hearts. We want to know truth. And not only do we want to know it, we want to live it. So challenge us this morning, Lord, from your Word. Father, we thank you for all those who are here, Lord. We know that many are traveling and some are sick, Lord, and some have gone through some procedures this week. And we know that you know where they're all at, Lord. And so we ask that you would care for them, help them know we love them. Lord, we pray for our missionaries around the globe. Many of them are serving in difficult places, places where there's great resistance to the cross of Jesus Christ. We pray you would strengthen them, help them know we stand with them, not just financially, but we pray for them and we, we are at one accord with them, one voice for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the word of God, Lord. So strengthen them today, Lord. Be with our sister churches around the world, churches that are holding to the word of God, who are not caving. We pray you would strengthen the true church in America and may you have all the glory and all the praise do your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Dr. Lawson recently said this, If the cross is not foolish to the lost world, then we are misrepresenting the cross. (laughs) I like that statement. For the world, the cross seems foolish to them. And yet, sometimes we misrepresent it as some kind of good luck charm or something. Oh, the cross of Jesus Christ is everything to us. George Whitfield said this, nothing but Christ, nothing but Christ. Give me Christ, O God, and I will be satisfied. My soul shall praise thee forever. I can see no other foundation whereon to build my hope of salvation, but on the rock of Christ, his cross, his personal righteousness, impute it to my soul. John Newton said this, said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not even what I hope to be. But by the cross of Christ, I am not what I was. Oh, we hold to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not foolishness to us. It is life. It is the very power of God. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 and following here, we find the Apostle Paul continuing his instruction flowing out of verse 17. And there he says, so that the cross would not be made void. Look back at this. Remember he said, I'm not here to be those who baptize you. He's clearly showing that baptism is not part of salvation. Very, very important point. But he said, look, I I came to preach the gospel. I came to preach the gospel. That's what he came to do to Corinth. That's what we're here to do today. And notice this, not in cleverness of speech. So that the cross of Christ would not be made void 
For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Now, notice the word void there in verse 17. The word void here, uh, get the word kenosis from it, means to empty, right? It's used in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, where it says the Lord emptied himself. He veiled his glory and added humanity to him as he came to this world. But it means to destroy or render invalid. And the last thing Paul ever desired was to distract from the only truth that could rescue his soul, and that's the cross of Christ. So his cleverness of speech, or lack of it, maybe, he never wanted that to distract from the cross of Christ. He was not there to perform. Now, Paul knows that man in his foolishness will disregard or lessen the strength of one thing they need. He knows the one thing they need is the cross of Christ, and he knows in their philosophies, in their human wisdom, they will lessen this. They will de-elevate it. See, Paul's familiar with this destructive human nature. He once, too, was underneath it. He was full of pride. He was full of, of human wisdom that he thought he knew better. In fact, that human wisdom led him to persecute the church, even to the point of death of believers. So now you think of Apostle Paul, look, he is secure now in the cross of Christ. He knows that this truth was not brought about by some human wisdom or somebody came up with this idea. He knows that this is the eternal plan of God. God laid it down from the foundations of the world. The cross of Christ was the plan of God. Look with me at 1 Peter. The apostles fully bought this, fully believed it, fully taught it, and we do as well. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm still in an introduction. It's going to take me a while. This is a phenomenal passage, and I'm super excited about it if you haven't told can't tell. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Look at the first verb, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things. Knowing. You know this, believer. If you're a believer in this room, you should know this. You are not purchased, you are not saved by things that perish. He goes on to elaborate a little more on this like silver and gold, from your futile way of life. Now look what he says, inherit it from your forefathers. That's depravity. You know what you inherited from your forefathers? You're a sinner. <laughs> Our forefathers started with Adam. And they've worked their way down, and, and sin has been passed on generation after generation. And that's what you inherited. Instead of coming to God with only hope in him that he can rescue, men bring silver and gold and whatever else. But look at verse 19. Here's the contrast. But with the precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. See, the, verse 18 was the plan of man. We'll bring things, right? We'll bring precious things. We'll be, bring valuable things in order to gain God, gain eternity, gain whatever we can gain. But in contrast... The Word of God says in verse 9, there's a great contrast to that. You are only rescued, you are only saved through the precious blood as like a lamb unblemished that had, that had been pictured for the nation of Israel time and time again. 
but not just the blood of any lamb. It was the blood of Christ. That's the cross. Notice he's already, he's after the power of the cross. Look at verse 20. This is the plan of God. For he, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundations of the world. This is the plan. And what that doesn't mean is, well, he knew about Jesus. He knew the plan was Jesus. <laughs> That's what God wrote down. Before there was anything, ex nihilo, before there was anything created, God's plan was to send his son and his blood rescue us. Always has been his plan. There's no plan B. But has appeared in these last days for our sake. So he's come, he's fulfilled the plan of God. Here he is. Now look at verse 21. Who through him are believers in God. There's one way to God. It's through Christ. It always has been. The cross of Christ has always been God's plan. Who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, showed that our sins are forgiven. So that, look at this, your faith, so that your faith and your hope are in God. Not in man. Not in your good works. Not in something that you accomplished. So as you turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, we see that Paul is now set on contrasting human Human wisdom, which is inadequate, and he's going to contrast that with the wisdom of God. Now, when, when Paul speaks of foolishness, he's referring to the, to the love of human wisdom. He's, he's speaking of the philosophy or the thinking of the day here. See, the ancient Greek culture loved philosophy. They were steeped in it. In fact, historians tell us that there were, they have identified at least 50 philosophical parties during this time in this ancient world. And the church of Corinth had become so influenced by it. And certainly the town was engrossed in it. Each of these philosophies had their own strand. They had their own view of man's beginning. They had their own view of what man's significance was on this world. They had their view of his destiny and what his relationships looked like, and many of them were steeped in Greek mythology, study of false gods. Within the philosophy understanding, they tried to deal with things like religion. How does religion fit in our philosophy? They dealt with politics, social issues, economics, and the priority of education. Some things have not changed. This is exactly what the world tries to figure out outside of God, don't they? Now, through these philosophies, they, they attempted to understand the meaning of life. What was the meaning of life? They would sit and meditate and try to find the value of life. They would try to find the true purpose of life. How you think, how you act, how, you, how your mind affects your relationships... These philosophies integrated themselves into every aspect of their lives, so people tended to line up with their favorite philosopher. Now, we saw last week that that's exactly what the church was doing, right? See, they adapted a worldly wisdom. They said, well, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Peter, or I'm of Christ, meaning we talked about the Christ-only group that don't need any teachers. You see what they were doing? They were already looking at the different, well, there's a philosophy there and a philosophy there. So here Paul is trying to put all of that to bed, to put all of that to rest and reject faction within the church. 
You'll notice in verses 11 through 13, that temptation was strong, wasn't it? And it's clear that the church had a great emphasis put on the wisdom of man. They were struggling with this. What does man think? They, they, they had now rejected the absolute standard of the word of God in a sense, right? They were looking to, to the wisdom of men instead of the wisdom of God. And they had a human ideology that, that was trying to guide them. The church was struggling with this. And I think the church struggles today with this. Too many Christians are far too influenced by the world. What the world thinks, what the news says, what political parties are doing what. Uh, so often, so, many, so much time is, is spent with what the world thinks. A dying world. A, a world where the cross is foolish to them, and yet we long to know what they think. See, the passage is so applicable to today, isn't it? Look, we don't reject that God has done wonderful things with man. The Bible says that he gives all everything good. Even truth of certain things he's allowed man to do. I mean, just think about communications. I'm able to hear and preach this and it is live streaming around the world. People from every continent can listen live with us, worship with us. It's amazing what God has allowed man to do. We're mobilized I spent a long time on the back of a horse, and now I can get in a car and go really, really fast. <laughs> there's great things, there's great literature men has written, man has learned to communicate in such a way. We have tremendous knowledge of medicine. But look, the true Christian does not need human philosophy when it comes to the Word of God. Word of God is greater than a lot. And in fact, all the accomplishments that man has done, we realize that God has allowed that to take place, that he has granted the wisdom and the understanding to do those things. Now listen, Paul's not only warning the Corinth church, he's warning the church of today. And he warned the church every time he wrote about these subjects. Look with me at Colossians chapter 2. I want you to grasp this because this was a problem then and it's a problem today. Colossians chapter 2 verse 6. We talked about our identity in Christ. That's where we lose control often. When our identity is what the world thinks and what they're going through and what, what's happening there and their opinions, we will often lose our identity in a sense. We'll, we'll put our identity in misplaced things. Paul's always bringing people back to their identity in Christ and his word. Look what he says in verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. What does that mean to walk in him? Be identified in him. We walk where he walks. We listen to what he teaches. We believe what he says. We hold to the word of God. Look at verse 7. Having been firmly rooted, don't you love this? Having been firmly rooted, rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Look, we have both salvation and sanctification taught to us through the word of God. How to live in this world is taught through the Word of God. We don't need the world's philosophies. We don't need the world's psychology. Th those things are, are, are opposite contrasts. And notice that he wants this church to be warned of this. So look what he says. See it to that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. 
Oh, the world's got all kinds of empty deceptions, brothers and sisters. They're pushing hard. They're pushing hard with their agendas. Get rid of unwanted babies. There's no need for us to put that kind of weight on our medical system. So get rid of them. They're they're just tissue. Oh, marriage is whatever you want it to be today. You choose. See, the world's philosophy is all about what you want, what you think. And if you aren't thinking right, we'll tell you what to think. So just turn off your brain and we'll direct you along. Oh, this hasn't changed, brothers and sisters. You think things are bad? Now they've always been bad. This is the fall of man. Look, they're trying to take you captive, Paul says, through philosophy and empty deception. Look, according to the traditions of men, well, what's that? That's the best things they can come up with, with minds that are corrupted by sin and headed to hell. That's their traditions. Do this, don't do that. Be with these people, don't be with that people. So that's their traditions. This is what he calls the elementary principles of the world. And notice this, it's a great contrast, rather than according to Christ. He's warning them, don't don't get engaged in this. Now look, look what he ends with in these last two verses here. For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. What's he saying there? Jesus is God. Do you think the world's wisdom can surpass that? (laughs) Do you think uh, CNN and Fox News and whatever else have that kind of ability, surpass the greatness of Christ, who is the fullness of God? And when you look into the face of Christ, you look into the face of God? And if that's not good enough for you, look at verse uh, 10. And in Him, that's Jesus, you have been made complete. You know what that word means? Lacking nothing. What can you not receive from Christ and his world, the word that the world needs to offer you? The Bible says so clear. He, in him you have everything. You lack nothing. Notice he is the head over all rule and all of authority. You want to go to the top? You go to Christ. Not to the public opinion. Well... Truly, we are complete in Christ. Brothers and sisters, I can't preach this enough. We have a perfect, holy position found in Christ alone, and God gave us his all-sufficient word to understand that position and to live our lives. We need nothing more. Timothy needed to hear and be reminded in this age of, of the pressing philosophies of the world. So Paul said, look, all Scripture is inspired by God. 1 Timothy 2, 3, 16. All Scripture is inspired by God. God breathed it. God exercised strength. He brought it forth. It's His work, and so it's perfect. It's profitable for a lot of things. Oh, well, Scott, you know, I don't know if the Bible has the answer for my problems, for, for my mind, and for all the things that I've gone through, all the hurt I've suffered, all those, I hear this all the time. Well, apparently he's lying in the, here in this verse. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching. What can the world teach you that the Bible can't? Well, let's start with in the beginning, God. They lie to our children. 
You say, well, that's true, Scott. Yeah. Evolution is a direct lie that there is no God, that there is no creator. It just starts from the beginning, right? They take it on. They, they lie from the beginning, and yet we willingly, willingly subject our youngest children to that. And, and look, I'm not against the public school system, but if you put them there, you better preach the word of God to them and teach them. Notice the word of God is profitable for teaching. We say, well, Scott, I, I have some problems in my life. Well, you need reproof. The word reproof means to expose error. Anybody have any error? I, I, I got all kinds of error. I, I am not perfect. Guess what the word of God does? Exposes that error and shows me what's right. Notice the word of God also is for correction. Anybody need a course correction in life every once in a while? We all do. How about training for what is right? Training in righteousness. The world thinks they know what is right, don't they? Oh, now we've got a whole group of people who think they know what's right. And the ship's sinking quick. Look, God's word tells us what is right. What is right? What is righteousness? And notice it's for the person of God, the man of God here. He's talking to Timothy, but it's for us as well. The person of God will be adequately equipped for every good work. So what God's word is telling the Corinthian church and telling us is this. And here's what I just pinned down. I'm going to read it word for word as I thought about this whole description. And again, I'm still in my introduction. And hang on with me. When we become a Christian, God gifted you, gifted us with eternal indwelling of the Spirit who guides and directs us to recognize the Word of God as everything we need for life and godliness. When He saved us, there became no need for the fallen world's wisdom in all reality. It did not help us as a believer either, for the world's wisdom would lead you to hell. So, as Christians, let us give up our dependency on the foolishness of man's wisdom and unite ourselves around God's supreme revelation of Jesus Christ and His Word, and listen to this, and find joy, peace, hope that only the wisdom of God can grant you. We forfeit so much when we don't go to the Word of God. We forfeit so much joy. The church today still struggles with the effects of following human wisdom and the problems that are created in our lives from that. Look, we're inundated with the world's philosophy on religion, politics, social issues, economics, education. Nothing's changed. They still keep beating that same drum with a new view, a new godless, pagan view of how those things should come about. Our school continues to have the phone ring because even those who are not in the faith are going, that's not right, I can't put them there. That's not my words, that's theirs. And yet, listen, many Christians, some knowingly and some unknowingly, are attempting to integrate fallen human wisdom with God's word. We call this integration psychology. Someone has a degree and they put a fish around their sign and mix in a little scripture, but basically teach the world's wisdom. That is, that's what's mostly taught out there in what we call counseling. That's not what God wants. We too often display in our lives that we're more concerned about human opinion, our, our human problems, than we are what God wants to say. I don't know how many times I've offered counsel to somebody from right from God's word, not Scott's words, right from God's word, and I hear this, but you don't understand. 
I don't have anything better to offer you than the pure, unadulterated wisdom of God's word. We either line our lives under it or we go on and suffer in human opinion. Oh my goodness, brothers and sisters, may we line up our affairs. See, it shows a lack of trust, a lack of faith, a disobedience to God's word. We seek to justify our actions through this human philosophy that goes around. We're more concerned with public opinion. Everybody's decisions are made on public opinion. One store quit carrying my pillow because of public opinion. I'm not talking about my pillow, I'm talking about my pillow. <laughs> and I called, I said, why? They said, well, well we had these people. So it's all about my, my, uh, your opinions and our opinions and our afraid. Fear just drives all things. So you see why the cross is foolish? See, it's foolish to the perishing. This often comes down to how you view scriptures, brothers and sisters. How we understand the supernatural work of God in our lives. This week we were studying the seminary class I'm teaching this month. It's killing me, but I love it. Um, it's a lot of hours, but we, we titled this course The Biblical Theology and the History of Preaching. It's very fascinating. We worked through the scriptures and looked at sermons all through the scriptures and understood how they were preached and the, the term expositional preaching is supported all through the scriptures. And then we looked at men down through the ages and we saw the good ones and the bad ones. We saw differences between those who affected the church for the glory of God and those who didn't. During the time of some of the great German theologians, there were tremendous ones, but then there were problem ones. There was men like Ralph Bultmann that rose up, and what he attempted to do was he looked at the Scriptures and said, anything supernatural I'm going to remove. I'm, I'm going to remove anything supernatural. And then whatever's left, then I will consider that God's word. Human wisdom left him with no absolute truths. In fact, he had a Bible full of holes and a powerless God to save. But then guys like Martin Lloyd-Jones came along. And they're coming along after the modern movement that this man would have helped start. And he saw human wisdom as a threat to divine revelation. And Jones responded this way. He said, the whole drift from, uh, towards modernism, that's human intellect and so-called science, that was a movement in the 1800s, flowed into the early 1900s, that has blighted the church of God, has nearly destroyed its living gospel, and may be traced to an hour where men began to turn from revelation to, philo to philosophy. And we end up with the beautiful cross of Christ as just foolishness to man. It's foolish. You go, where does it all come from? Can we point our finger to a person? Well, it goes back to Adam and Eve. God told them what was right. He spoke his word to him, didn't he? Adam spoke directly with God. Direct revelation from God. Don't eat of this. But then philosophy entered. Well, let's see. If this is good to eat, and it's going to make me wise, 
Why not I take it? See, reasoning started to overcome the word of God. This is happens every day. When people make a decide, make a choice to live immorality, when they know what the Bible says, live in immorality, knowing what the Bible says, they philosophize in their mind, in their heart, say, I know better than God, I'm going to go do this. And look, it trickles down to every sin, just not immorality. This is a problem with man, right? Proverbs chapter 5, 21 through 23, for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all of his paths. God's watching all this. His own iniquity will capture the wicked. His own iniquity. He'll fall into his own sin. It'll capture himself. And he will be held by the cords of his sin. And he will die for lack of instruction. And his greatness of his folly will go astray. Will cause him to go astray. Over and over we see in Proverbs, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. It's right in his own eyes. So without human Without a doubt, human wisdom draws on the pride of man. He elevates himself and he plummets his view of God every time. Brothers and sisters, you and I as Christians have to be careful of this. When we go to defending ourselves in a sinful way, we will de-elevate God in our own eyes or in somebody else's eyes when we do that. Romans gives us, the pro- gives us the answer, shows us the problem in the answer. Romans chapter 1, 21 through 25 says this, For even though they knew God, there's, there's no atheism. Everybody knows God. They just lie to themselves long enough and loud enough, and pretty soon they don't believe it. I can prove it. Gather, gather two-year-olds and three-year-olds and four-year-olds and five-year-olds and six-year-olds, and every one of them believe there's a God. They all do. God wrote it on their heart, Romans chapter 2, verse 15. But he says, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their, listen to this word, foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over to the lust of the hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. That's exactly what's happening today. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul can't even talk about the creator without just praising him. But that's the problem, right? There's an exchange for God's word for human lies. So if we want answers about life, Answers about where we came from. Answers about where we're going. Why we're here. Answers about what's right and wrong. Answers of how to please God and live in a life that worships Him. How to handle a so-called pandemic. The answer is simple. Though challenging for us at times, there is absolute truth and God's Word holds that. Fallen wisdom will only disappoint you. and Human wisdom will lead you Straight to hell. But if you desire, listen to this now, if you desire to ultimate, for the ultimate meaning, the ultimate purpose of life, for the true source of happiness and joy, for fulfillment and peace, oh, you've got to look beyond human wisdom. I am so thankful I come in this pulpit Sunday after Sunday and I don't have to preach my own words. I, I just don't have enough to entertain you guys. I'm not good enough. I love to preach God's word because I have so much confidence in it and not me. 
I tell our students in the seminary, if you preach your own words, they just go right off the end and crash and die right there. Holy Spirit has nothing to do with my own words. Holy Spirit takes the word of God and plunges it into our hearts and minds. And so we look to that absolute truth and that ultimate truth leads us to the cross of Christ every time. Every time. Amen? All right, point one. Oh, this, this passage is glorious, and I, I, I somewhat apologize because you just can't help but dive into the Word of God when you study these verses. Well, look at point number one. The cross of Christ is foolish to the perishing. Verse 18, first half. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. See, Paul knew the conventional wisdom of the day. He knew the effects it was having on the church. He was already having division and factions within the church. He knew the dangers of men attempting to to prove their wisdom, and it resulted in just lowering their view of God. So Paul understood depravity. He knew it. He knew the, the effects that it would have on man's thinking. And in depravity, and, and in depravity when it comes to the Scriptures, they, they see such a, a contrasting thinking, right? So in depravity, when man comes to the Scriptures, what do they do? They see the cross of Christ and they think foolishness. Now, they may not say that out loud, but that's eventually what they come to. And, and, and what, what comes out of them is, is how could God, in, in this, the supposed God, if you even believe in a God at some level, how could he take human form? Just think about the Greeks. <laughs> They're going, what? Think about those who were agnostic, who thought that all matter was evil and how could a holy God reside in matter? See, just to take God and talk about his incarnation, that Jesus became flesh so he could die for us, is foolish to him. It's foolish to think that someone could live a perfect life. It's foolish to them that someone be a crucified and that crucifixion would attend, atone for the sins of all who would believe in him. To them, it's foolish that that he was raised to prove that our sins were forgiven. That's, it doesn't make any sense to them. And then, and then that he would return to heaven, sit at the right hand of the Father, and be given authority and power over everything. To them, it's, it's simply just a fairy tale. And so Paul says the cross is foolish to them in verse 18. Because how can a man be crucified and grant forgiveness that washes back all the way back to Adam and wash all the way forward to the last believer. How can that be possible? See, outside of the supernatural work of God transforming our hearts and minds, the gospel is just a foolish myth. And you say, well, I have family that I don't think are saved, but they don't call it a foolish myth. Well, they may not say it, so many have been raised in the church who have heard this message and wander off into the world and they even may tell people they're Christians, but ultimately it's still foolish to them because it doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with their life. And I walked an aisle, I said a prayer, I even got baptized in case that whole thing's correct, I don't want to go to hell. See, that's just foolish, isn't it? The word foolish um, comes from the Greek word moria. We get our word moronic from it. Meaning, it's 
absolute nonsense. So Paul says to the world, the cross is absolutely nonsense. And that's exactly what Paul says here, that the word of the cross to the lost, to the perishing, to the unbeliever, to the one left in his fallen wisdom, it is moronic. It's a graphic description, isn't it? We'll soon see when we get into chapter 2, verse 14, that Paul says the natural man does not accept these things. He has not the Spirit. So you cannot see that the cross of Christ is everything to us. In fact, it's the only thing. <laughs> to them, it's myths and fairy tables because they are spiritually appraised. Notice the word here, um, the word, for the word of the cross. It's an interesting term. It's logos when you look at it in the Greek. It's the same word that's used for speech in verse 17. He says, but he says, look, I didn't, God didn't, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of logos. See that in verse 17? Not in cleverness of word. So that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the logos of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So here, when he speaks of this word, it is, it is God's wisdom he's speaking of. In the beginning was the logos, the word. That means when, when John wrote that, as God inspired him to write that, it said the logos is all wisdom and all power personified in the person of Jesus Christ. And you can't divorce Jesus Christ from his word. They go together. They're inseparable. So he says, look, the, the power and the wisdom of God is in the cross, and that's foolishness to those who are perishing. Here's how they would put it. you got to be kidding me, Pastor. I can only get to heaven believing through this man Jesus who claimed to be God, who descended from heaven down to earth, took on human flesh, lived a perfect life. They nailed him to a tree, threw him in a grave. Some say he resurrected, and I can only get to God through that man? Look, you and I, without the Spirit of God, say, hmm... But the Spirit of God makes us go, you betcha. <laughs> he is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no, no way to the Father except through Him. See, our hearts are secure in that truth, aren't they? But to the lost, it's but foolishness. Clearly, Paul is contrasting. Look, he's contrasting the words of man in, in, in the sinfulness of, of his thinking, right? In comparison with, with the wisdom of God's Word here. So the Word of the cross includes the Gospel, which he laid down before the foundations of the world. It's God's gracious provision to provide redemption for mankind. And he has chosen to reveal himself to every walk of life, right? Every different type of walk of life, rich, poor, every, every ethnic diversity of the world. He reveals himself and the cross work of Christ is just the pinnacle of God's word, isn't it? And we're not trying to elevate any passage over another passage, but if we study the Bible in a biblical theology, everything is leading to the cross and everything is flowing from the cross. That's really good. You should write that down. That wasn't even in my notes. Biblical theology tells us that everything is flowing towards the cross. Look, Adam and Eve, you believed your own lies over my word. But I knew you were going to do that. So I have a plan. I'm going to send my son, and he's going to crush the head of the serpent. 
And from Genesis 3.15 all the way to the cross of Jesus Christ, the whole Bible flows towards that in its narrative. And from that cross, everything flows to eternity. Our life is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Our obediences, our marriages even are supposed to resemble Christ in the cross and, and the work of God and the church and so forth. Everything resembles that. Now, Paul knew that the Corinth culture had bought these lies. He knew that this had been rejected and it's made its way in. And so he speaks in profound but yet very simplistic and historical and objective truths here. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is, it is our crown and glory and the power of God. You know, when you think about it, even Christ's own disciples really didn't believe his message until they received the Spirit of God. Night before his death, look, disciples, I'm going to die. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to be put in a grave and raised three days later. Peter, no, you're not. <laughs> he didn't believe them. They didn't believe. And I think still today we see that the cross of Christ is foolish to many religious people. And you go, well, how does that happen, Scott? Well, they don't see themselves as sinners. See, the cross is for sinners. If you're not a sinner, this doesn't even make sense to you, and maybe you just like the coming to church and the music and have a few friends. The cross is for sinners. It's for the guilty. It's for the reprobates. It's for the damned. That's us before salvation. But if you're not that, if, you're, if you don't see yourself as a sinner, you see yourself righteous in your own wisdom, the cross is just foolishness, right? And so it's easy to mock Christians and say, oh, Christianity's a crutch. How many of you have been told that by family or friends? Those raised in the church, but the message never affected them, that is still proving the cross is foolish to them. It has no power in their life. Oh, they'll say, look, your Christianity is outdated. It's culturally insensitive. It's foolish to them. You got a problem with your gender? I got the answer. Jesus Christ. I was born this way. Yeah, I was born a liar. I was born a sinner. Cross is the answer. Is it still foolish to you? See, the result of the word of the cross is foolishness, whether spoken or unspoken. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Point two. The cross of Christ reveals the power of God. The cross of Christ reveals the power of God. What extreme contrast here, isn't it? The verse, first half says the word, the logos of the cross, is foolishness to those who are headed to hell. But to those who are being saved, it's, it's the very power of God. We see, his, we see his omnipotent character in the cross. John 3.16 says for the and you know this verse, probably the many people who think the cross is foolishness even know this verse. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, sent him to earth. It was the only hope that God himself would come, that whoever believes in him, here's our word, shall not perish, shall not eternally be damned. But just the, the, the exact contrast to that, you have eternal life. See, the power of God is seen in such contrast. God's wisdom compared to man's foolishness. God's power compared to man's weakness. Paul sets up the argument over the next few verses we'll see in coming weeks. But look, the saved are those who are the called, they're the redeemed, they're the ones who believe They come because their very present existence is based on the power of God to send His Son and transform our lives. I have no life outside of Christ. In Him is life. He is the light of men. My life is hidden in Christ. We hear these terms all through the Scriptures. Notice the word being saved. This is fascinating. Salvation is explained in all, all three tenses. It's, it's explained in past tense in the Bible. It's explained in present tense. And it's also explained in future tense. Past tense, we see a passage like Titus 3, 5 through, 3 through 5. It says, for we were also once foolish ourselves. That's a really important verse. That's Titus 3, 5. We ourselves, Paul speaking, he's lumping all of us in, all of us believers, and he goes, we were once foolish ourselves. So we met the first part of 1 Corinthians 1.18. But then he goes on to say this. He actually explains a little more, more about our foolishness, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice, envy, and hating, hateful and hating one another. Wow, that's a great life. That's the world. Is there not more hatred in the world than you've ever seen right now? I mean, it's amazing how much hatred is flying out there. And if you're on the wrong side, you just get blocked. I mean, that's, that's the way it works. Whoever's in power gets, gets to block everybody, right? You get the keys. But then the Bible says this, look. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared. Now, that word appeared is personal. Now, certainly when Jesus appeared on earth, He brought the power of God with Him. But when He appeared, I think it's talking about you and I. Because the next verse says this, He saved us. When did Jesus Christ appear to you? Where were you? Sitting with Grandma? Vacation Bible school? Sunday school down the hall, maybe right here? In a service just like this, God sent the message through the preacher, through the Word of God, and you heard the power of the cross. And you bent your knee right where you were sitting, maybe at home, maybe you come and talk to somebody, whatever it is, you bent your knee and you said, I'm a fool, God, in a sense. I've been trying to save myself all these years. I've seen myself in my own righteousness. And now I realize that it wasn't for the cross of Jesus Christ. I will perish. That happened to you if you're a Christian. Somewhere along the line. So the Bible said he saved us. Past tense is an aorist tense. It means somewhere in the past. That's where you came to know Jesus Christ. And notice it's not on the basis of deeds which you have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. But then we find the present tense. And notice in this verse, it's present tense. But to those, but to us who are being saved. It's an interesting word. It's continual present tense. He saved us in the past and he's continuing. Right now, right now, he's keeping you saved. Oh, don't you love that? Oh, well, you know, Pastor, our church teaches loss of salvation. 
Well, you must have based it on yourself because that's the only way you can lose it. Because if salvation comes from God, you can't lose it. He doesn't make mistakes. Jesus says, all that you give me, I'll lose none of them. Right? I mean, that's what the Bible teaches. And so God continues to keep us safe. But then we find future tense, right, of our salvation. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Will be saved. What's he talking about? You'll be saved now, you'll be saved in the future, and you'll be saved forever. <laughs> Take that, worldly wisdom. Look, Aristotle and Plato are, are in a box. Their philosophies only led to death. The word of God leads to life. Life abundant on this earth, and wow, life abundant in the life to come. That's what we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this little part of this, and you can tell I'm not going to get through my points here, but I'm excited. But to us, oh, look at that little phrase there, but to us. Mm. Not just those being saved, this is personal. He uses a plural pronoun here. It's a personal plural pronoun. And Paul says, look, I'm included in this. He knows there's true believers in Corinth, even though the church is liberal, even though the church has factions going on and it has problems. God is gracious. Look at us. Have you ever caused any problems with anybody? And don't say you haven't. We're factitious by nature. We love to argue. We love to have our own way. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we would perish in that desire to have our own way. So Paul says, look, to, to us, to us who receive Jesus Christ, oh, that personal pronoun gathers in all who God has granted saving faith, who now rejoice in the power of God. He's changed our position eternally. The us is those who were dead and made alive. It's those who were lost and now found. It's those who were spiritually blind but now see. Listen to this. It's those who were under the wrath of God at one point. Judged already. It's those that now find ourselves as beloved children of God. Isn't that staggering? We went from being under the wrath of God to now his children. We're crucified with Christ, the Bible says now. And we're his brethren. We called out for his crucifixion, right? Our sins really crucified Christ, right? But now the Bible says we're his brethren. He's our elder brother. There's a place set at the table of God in heaven for us and his son. Think about this. Once the bar, the gates of heaven were barred to you. Never get in. And now you're welcomed as an eternal citizen. Philippians 3.20. An eternal citizen of heaven because of the work of God. Once we're a fool. And now the Bible says we have the wisdom of God. Now that's power, isn't it? That's power that no dead philosophers could ever grant. And yet the word of God says that most of the world is foolish. How many got on the ark? 
Anybody got a number? Thank you. <laughs> a lot of people on the earth that time. Biblical historians say there were millions of people on the earth by the time the ark was built. 120 years, Moses preached. One way in. I'm building an ark with one door. This is what God told me to do. You come in that door, you come God's way through his door, and you will be held above judgment. Resist that way. Think that you're smarter. Think that you'd know better. Mock and laugh at the gospel. The door shuts, and you will be under judgment. This is the way it's been down through history. Many are called, few are chosen. And so, for the natural man, he has no spirit. And I want to close, as I'm out of time with this, I won't try to take on the next couple of points, but I want you to think about this. Sometimes in our biblical wisdom, it's easy to be hard on the world. I've been a little tough on them today myself mainly because of the human error that leads people to hell. But all of us have family and friends and co-workers and neighbors who don't know Jesus Christ. And maybe you have faithfully witnessed to them, you've faithfully lived a life that, for the most part, honors the Lord by His grace. I want you to be reminded of something. The Bible calls them natural men, natural people. The word means natural means they're left in their fallen condition right now. I reminded our seminary students this week that they have no spirit. And so the message of the cross remains foolish to them. Doesn't mean we don't preach the message of the cross. We plead with our dying breath for people to believe in the message of the cross. But we must remember they can't respond. It's like a dead man trying to come to dinner. <laughs> he can't get up. He, he can't make his way to the table where the food of life is. He's dead. He needs God to breathe life into him. And though we look at verse 18 and we go, Oh Lord, there are so many foolish out there. Never forget, brothers and sisters, as Paul said in Titus 3.3, we too were once foolish. Beg God for sensitivity to the lost. Beg God that His Spirit will proceed your conversation with your kids, with your neighbor, with someone that you perceive may not have the words of life. Ask the Spirit to go ahead of you. Look, we can't do anything without the Spirit. Our words fall off the pulpit. They fall out of our mouth and die without the Spirit's work. And so we need the Spirit of God because they have not the Spirit of God. So the things of God are foolish to them. Our goal, our goal is to live like people who've been empowered by the cross of Christ. He'll use your changed life, brothers and sisters. This world, it's, it's going to get bad. They are going to consume one another. And they're going to look at you and say, why do you have such joy? What will you tell them? Father, thank you for 
this reminder, we thank you that you have changed us, Lord. We give you all the credit, none of us in here, I don't think anyone here would stand up and say, I'm here because I chose Jesus and made myself wise enough to do that. Lord, we knew we were dead in our sins and we had no hope. You had to come and get us. Because of that, Lord, your cross is no longer foolish to us. It is just the opposite, completely contrary to that. It is the very power of God. (laughs) And it never gets old to us. We love the message of the cross. So, Lord, I pray you would help us as we share that message, that we would share it with grace and mercy. And yet, at the same time, we would realize the world's position on all of the things that they call wisdom. That they're just human wisdom that leads to the grave. But, Lord, we have wisdom that leads to life. And so we believe in the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and fulfilling the Father's plan. Thank you, Spirit of God, for opening our eyes and minds to the truth of the Word of God. Thank you, Father, for such a great plan that you laid down to rescue us. pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me for a closing benediction? Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for shedding your light into our hearts and our minds. For what was once foolish has now become glorious to us. Where our hearts and minds were once darkened, we now have the light of the gospel. Where certain doom and perishing were deserved, we now receive the power of God through salvation. May we trust your word and reject foolish wisdom of the world, and find eternal contentment in your Son and His finished work. Amen.